0: Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started, and now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. What is creation? Did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Does anyone really care? These questions and many more, including teaching tips and great resources, are presented in the Creation Science Podcast. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and it's my pleasure and honor to be your host. Some of these shows are from my Best of Creation Expos and other presentations I've completed throughout the years of teaching on this topic. I'm the owner of Media Angels, Inc., a publishing company that produces books, audios, and videos to help you and your family in your Christian walk. Check out my books and other podcasts at MediaAngels.com To get the show notes for this broadcast, go to CreationSciencePodcast.com And now, let's learn together.
1: Welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the host of the Ultimate Homeschool Expo in this set that we're recording now, which is the Creation Expo. I want you to join with me in prayer as I um, ask the Lord for help um, in presenting this very uh, difficult session. Dear Lord Jesus, I just praise you and I thank you, and I ask you, Lord, to help me with the words that you want me to share with those listening today. Dear Lord, I ask that you get hearts and minds open to what you want them to hear and use me, Lord, in any way that you will. And I just pray, Lord, that those listening will be blessed by this session. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to know that um, it is a short presentation that I'm going to be giving today but one that I hope will show you the impact that happens when those who do not believe in creation um, but actually have an agenda that is anti-Christian will go to great lengths to uh, share their message with others. So I'm going to be sharing with you that Creation Matters is the name of this presentation, and this is actually a true story. As I shared um, a little bit ago, my name is Felice Gerwitz. I am a Christian wife and mother, and I am an author, uh, publisher at Media Angels, and a host uh, of many podcasts. In fact, um, this is uh, one that I uh, do during the year, but I have quite a few more that we host every year. If you want more information about all of our sessions, you can go to ultimatehomeschoolexpo.com or mediaangels.com, and that link will take you uh, to where I have um, other websites and materials. I'm married to my best friend, Jeff. We've been married for 32 years, and I have five children. Uh, Two are now adults, and uh, three I am currently uh, schooling at home. And I am very, very uh, blessed to have a very supportive family, and um, it really shows because um, they are... Uh, the reason that I continue to do what I do because they are so um, encouraging. I want to just tell you a little bit about um, this business that I run because it ties into the story that I'm going to share with you. Um, I began homeschooling and found that there were a lack of creation study guides that I could use with the tons of books that I had purchased that were, um, you know, curriculum-based or... um, just regular books to counteract evolutionary claims. So they were creation books as well as some other science books that I had on hand. And I really wanted something that would help me to organize all of these resources that I had and be able to teach using a unit study approach. So not finding anything, I was able to convince Jill Whitlock, who was a friend of mine and a creation scientist and homeschool mom, to join forces with me and uh, to write this series. So we started with the first one, uh, Creation Science, A Study Guide to Creation. And then the next one we wrote was Creation Astronomy, then a Creation Anatomy, and the last one was Creation uh, Geology. Um, Jo was an oil and well geologist, and she went to be before the Lord um, in 2007 is when she died. So... I really, really miss her, and, uh you know, one, and one of the, the things that I did um, after she died um, was dedicate any other sessions that we did uh, to her and her memory, because um, if it wasn't for Jill, I wouldn't have written a series. Uh, they've been selected, and um, with Kathy Duffy's top 100 and now 101 picks, so we've been very blessed, and we have four study guides and four activity packs as well. Um is teaching science and having fun, which was again a book that i um I decided was useful to me anyway and then I went on to publish it um was actually the first book I wrote for publication uh, that was able to organize all the materials I had on hand and help parents to organize uh, their science and um and to teach their children at home and um Having written this curriculum, my children uh grew up with a good understanding of the differences between creation and evolution, but I never imagined that I would be under such attack, um, either with friends, with church, um, you know, people at, at church that would, you know, tell me that it was not a Christian thing to write, uh or the printer who said he couldn't print, you know, such hogwash or at conferences where people would come up to me and say, you know, I haven't met anyone who's intelligent that believes in creation and and uh you know it, it would it would just be so confrontational um even at events, you know, a friend um would get um take great pleasure in introducing me to another one of his friends and say something like um, you know, Felice is a world-renowned author and publisher, and, of course, then they'd ask me who I was, and I'd have to say I'm not world-renowned. I own my own publishing company, and I self-publish, you know, so – and when I told them what I published, again, it was, you know, more attack, and, um, you know, we would get into what I consider very good discussions. I don't know if the other person considered it a good discussion, but um, I enjoyed talking about creation and evolution and – and I was realizing then that I was happy that I'd had the background and the education that I had in this um, because of the study that Jill and I had done using um, a lot of materials that she had put together over the years, when she studied about it. And Jill was a evolutionist uh, to begin with. She was an atheist uh, that became agnostic, that then became a Christian. And when she was handed a Bible, She looked at it and said, I have a problem here because I disagree with the first sentence in the beginning, God created. And so Jill went on uh, to share her story and her testimony, which was that the Lord took the blinders away and she made a 10-year study of creation versus evolution before I met her in the late 90s. And so with that information and armed uh, with a creation scientist, we went on to write these books and I was um very delighted that I learned, you know, really at her feet. I know John eight thirty two is one of those scriptures that I hold close, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I know there's a lot of different, um, you know, translations of that. But, you know, it really is. The truth is freeing and will set you free, which was why we named our series the Truth Seekers Mystery Series. And I wrote these books with my daughter, Christina, who was then a homeschooled uh, child? She's one of my now grown adults that has left home um, and has started a family of her own, and is currently homeschooling my grandchildren, which is a real blessing to me. When we wrote this series, it was no accident that uh, we we picked the truth seekers um, as what uh, the the kids in the story were going to be looking for, and they are creation based um, you know novels. And so when we wrote the first one, The Missing Link Found, um, you know, it, it was based on an, an evolutionary uh, premise that um, fossils will prove that um, that evolution is true. That was Darwin, what Darwin said, that the fossil record would prove evolution, and it still has not. And uh, the second book, Dinosaur Quest at Diamond Peak, dealt with a dinosaur dig in Colorado where the kids are up against a uh evolutionist who is heading up this uh dinosaur excavation and then the third uh keys to the past unlocked uh deals with a um an excavation that is uh takes place obviously in the Keys uh Key West uh, and uh the kids are part of this. And so in our novels we uh dealt with some really good scientific fact and the children um in the novels had to dispute evolutionists. And so they took a lot of time to write and um not only that there was a lot of edits involved being that I'm the publisher so because I wanted these to be you know um very accurate we sent them to at least three scientists read each one of these books when they were in their draft form and then we gave them to um no less than 20 or 30 uh, families who then read them within their families. Kids read them. Parents read them to their children, and then they would give us back the manuscripts, all printed out and um, marked up, and so we would put all the edits in. So as you can imagine, it was a big undertaking. And when Book Three came out, um, we had um, pre-sold that book at a conference, and so I was under a pressure cooker, if you will, to get that book um, out to press. And so it was the holidays and I was very busy with family things, trying to um, get our um, homeschooling closed out for the holidays because we take about two or three weeks off, um, if not more, in December, and then also getting the rest of these edits um, put in. And then every time I read the book, I would find a mistake you know it could be a little mistake but then you're thinking well there could be more and um, finally my daughter I think took the book out of my hand and and sent it to the the printer said it's ready to go and uh, you know you just stop somewhere but I remember it just being um, this ordeal to try to get this book to print and people were waiting and they wanted it before Christmas so it really needed to get going and I remember lamenting to the Lord, and I tend to do that you know I don't mean to be melodramatic and i I don't tend to be I'm not you know an alarmist. I don't normally uh cry at things, and you know I can be pretty stoic um my husband I would tell him you know he had four sisters, and so they always cried instead at everything and so um you know when I would cry early on in our marriage, um he would tell me that um he would be happy to talk to me about anything but he couldn't when I was crying. So, um, you know, I would tease him and say, you know, that really cured me of crying early on because um, you know, um it it was uh not something that was gonna I wasn't gonna get my way with it for sure. But the the thing is, you know, in telling you this, I just want you to know that I'm not normally a drama queen and, you know, lament over everything, but let me tell you, at this point, I was ready to be done with the book, and I think another author listening to this would understand totally what I mean. Um, but it being the holidays and everything else, I really cried out to the Lord, and I said, "Lord, I must be mistaken. I know that I um, am having know that I'm having such a hard time with this book. I can't seem to get it uh, to where it needs to be so I can go to print. I don't want to send something off that has a lot of mistakes and understand at this point, every one of our novels um, and all of our books have had professional editing. And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody I know who's an English teacher or even a college professor. I'm talking about somebody that we hired to edit the book. So, you know, it had had a good edit and, um, you know, there were just little things that slipped by and anybody, I'm sure you've picked up a book and found typos. But, The end of the story was that I felt that it was not my call or my mission to share about creation, and now as I'm sharing this with you, I can really see that it was the enemy that was wanting me to believe that, but at the time, you know, I was upset, and I was saying to the Lord, you know, look, I'm not a scientist, I'm an educator, you know, I must have taken a, um, you know, you wanted me to turn right, and I turned left, and and you know i'm mistaken and and I want out you know um find somebody else because I can't you know be the person doing this and so I'd gone shopping um at a local a local uh, warehouse um earlier that week, and I found a nativity scene that I liked but I had not purchased and I love uh decorating my home um at Christmas time with you know beautiful decorations, and I especially love the one nativity scene I have, and I know i Did not need another one, but I um, went home and, you know, was a good girl and asked my husband if he thought it would be a wise purchase, and he encouraged me to get it. So I was going back that next uh, weekend to get it, and my nephew asked if he could go with me. And uh, I don't mean to drag out the story, but it's very pivotal because my nephew, who also is homeschooled, he's the same age as my oldest son, and, uh, his mom and I homeschooled, um, he, he and his sister and my son and daughter were the same age and we did a lot of things together. They lived in Fort Lauderdale and we would get together lots of time, uh, to do a, a lot of projects over the weekend and had fabulous time. Well, he grew up and moved to Fort Myers and worked with my husband, um, at that time they were working, um, together and, So my nephew um, had asked if he could meet me there with his wife, and I said, sure, you know, that would be fine. And so they met us there, and when they did, um, I took them to show them the nativity set, and one of my children was with me, and uh, I believe it was Nicholas, and so I showed, you know, George and Holly the set, and I said, look, what do you think? And then I gasped because I saw this calling card on the shepherd's shoulder, and I started you know, to, to I guess, rant is what he said, but I just said, oh, my gosh, what is that doing there? And I cannot believe somebody would put that on a t- nativity set, you know, why would they do it? Nobody's going to buy it. And to set the scene, the nativity set was very large, and it was encased in glass, but the top of it did not have glass. So the glass was around the side, so people couldn't touch it. But obviously someone had reached over this nativity scent and had slipped this card on the shoulder of, of the shepherd. And it said, all I could read was, God is the asylum of the ignorant. And it just brought tears to my eyes. I couldn't believe it was there. And my nephew said, you know, Aunt Felice, are you kidding me? Um, that, it doesn't belong there. And he reached in and he, you know, pu- pulled it out and handed it to me. And I was just shocked and, um, And so he said, you know, do you want a set? And I said, you know, yes, I do. And he picked one up and put it in the cart and then he uh, gently took his wife by the hand and he said, I think she's going to be here a while, let's go. And the reason I share that he was with me was because I would never have stuck my hand in that set to pull this out and to look at it. But he handed it to me and I knew that it was an answer to my prayer because when I opened it, I wanted to see who the author was, you know, whose calling card this was. It obviously had to have a phone number or an address or a website. And I was going to write to this person and tell them, you know, that they shouldn't be doing things like that. Well, when I um, opened it up, um, I was shocked, you know, because I knew someone had taken the time to put a very expensive card there, to print it out. Um, He had every intention of slamming Christianity. And when I opened it, I found out why because at the very bottom of this calling card there was nothing else, there was no website, there was no signature, there was a picture of what is called the Darwinian evolutionary fish, and it is a mockery of the Jesus fish, because you can see the words Darwin are here, if you're looking at the slides, um, if you're listening to this, um, there is there are slides that go with it, but um there there is um you know feed on this creature you know that he, you know the fish evolved and walked out of the sea because that is one of the premises of evolution that uh you know things evolve and become more complex which is in direct contrast to what uh science laws teach however um ha- seeing this there it really showed me that uh this card was meant for me and it was an example of what happened when people are devoid of God. And so um, to show those of you that may not be familiar with the symbol for Jesus, um, I don't think much of you, um, many of you listening to this are not, but if you're a younger child and you're listening to this with your mom and dad, you know, the Jesus fish um, was um, used as a symbol in early Christian times. It was actually, uh, there's a great history behind it, and I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. Uh, It's known as the Ithacus and it's, you know, a Greek word uh, for fish. And it was used as a symbol that people who uh, were trying to escape persecution would look for this fish, and they would know that uh, this symbol, and they would know that it was a safe haven. And in the Bible, Jesus uses analogies to teach us greater truth, and he, you know, used fishermen as our, um, you know, examples as our, uh, the disciples that followed him and his word. And, and there are so many different, um, things he used with the sea and analogies and so forth. And, and, you know, the loaves and the fishes and so, so many things. So anyway, it, w- it made sense that the fish would be the symbol of Christianity. And so, you know, it is known as the sign of the fish or the Jesus fish. And, um, and so when I was looking this up for this presentation and I thought, you know, Um, It seemed like I was overreacting with being so upset and also upset that I wasn't getting the book done because a lot of time has gone by now. And sometimes we wonder, you know, gosh, that was silly. Why was I so upset? But when I was looking for the Ithaca so I could give you, you know, more of a precise um, information about what what it means, um, and I thought it was the Greek, but I wanted to make sure, look at what I found in the search. There is, um, on the first line, when I searched for the Jesus fish, or Ithacus, I had both of those down in in parentheses, the first line says um, a link, and it has emblems online ordering with live telephone. And then there was dot, 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 evolve fish. And it says, can't stomach all those Jesus fish driving around town? Now you can take the bite out of them. The new car emblem has a lot more protein, and then it goes on. And it's, um, if you haven't seen the symbol, I don't have a picture of it on the slides, but um, it is of the Darwinian evolutionary fish eating the Jesus fish. But, you know, it, how silly is that? Um, but, again, um, was I overreacting? Uh, obviously not. Somebody else has taken great time in creating this website and selling these little, you know, anti-Christian fish, um, and it's still going on today. You know, it took me a year to write um, a document that's called Creation Matters. One of the reasons it took so long was I was so, so upset uh, by the writing on this card. I have to tell you, it really impacted me. It was as if somebody had just pierced my heart, that somebody could say these horrible things about my God. And I didn't even read the inside of it right away. I stuck it with a magnet um, on my refrigerator when I got home. And it definitely stayed there for quite some time. It was a a big discussion within our home. My uh son obviously filled everyone in when we got home about the action happening at the warehouse where I'd found this um this fish because i t- or this card because I told him I felt like Jesus had left this note for me and I shared with him you know why um I was so surprised that you know th- it it had the Darwin fish on there because um I had just been praying to God you know, is this something I should be doing? And I felt like this was an answer because this is what happens when you're devoid of God. So it took me um, a long time to get it concise. I obviously didn't put that big, long story that I shared with you um, in this document. And I put it on my website. So if you want a copy of it, um, if you're listening to this and and you're not in the membership site or um, someone has loaned you this audio because I really have um, urged people to put it out there and um, to share it with other people, um, you can get a copy of Creation Matters, and that is on my website, mediaangels.com. If you go to free downloads, um, it's one of the PDF files you can print out and share. And so um, I wrote this with scanned copies of the card um, as part of it so that you, you would see, you know, how um, you know horrible it is for people who um, really are devoid of God so I wanted to take the rest of the time um, and very briefly go over the four men that were highlighted in this card that this gentleman thought so much to have the, this linen card created you know four-sided linen card that folds in half that wasn't cheap to create Um and this was many years ago okay this was um in the late '90s, early—I guess it was early 2000—and and, um, and so you know it wasn't so easy and cheap to get 100 cards made or 100 cards for free. I mean, this man put some money or this lady put some money um, into this linen card and was taking it around and putting it places. Um, so with the first. Um, Person on here, on the front of this, it said, "God is the asylum of the ignorant," and and the quote was given to Spinoza. And I wanted to go over who he was. Um, he was born to a Jewish family um, in Amsterdam in the, you know, early 1600s. Uh, 1632. He actually resisted the the Jewish Orthodox faith and was excommunicated for heresy. And he changed his name uh, to Spinoza. Well, Christians didn't think much of him because obviously they weren't really happy with his anti-God stance. But um, the Orthodox Jews accused him of atheism, and and he was very, very unpopular and very, very unpopular. And back then, um, you could have your works um, denounced, and not only that, they would ban your books. And so his works had been denounced and, and banned and um you know he wrote so many things that were um against god and he thought that the nature of the mind, emotions, intellect, reason and will were all that there was and that is really the recurring theme of a lot of these men they really think that to be an intellect you must be devoid of god because to be um you know a christian means to rely upon god and that was a show of weakness so it really, uh, didn't make any sense in, in the, you know, in the, the truth of the matter as we know it. And, and so, you know, this man spent his time, um, you know, researching and writing along those lines. And so this quote was pulled out by the gentleman who left the calling card, um, on, on the shepherd. The second quote on the card was, religion began when the first knave met the first fool. And um, it was attributed to Voltaire. Now, Voltaire, um, many of you have, um, you know, probably heard um, I took a lot of French in college as well as studies of literature, and so, um, and I took philosophy, so I was very well versed in Voltaire and um, knew already about his, you know, pretty much atheistic stance. He was a philosopher, a French writer, and historian who lived, uh, a little bit later, uh, than Spinoza, 1694, to around, um, you know, the middle of the late 70s, 1778, and his, his, um, you know, pen name was Voltaire, his, his real name was Francois, but anyway, he was part of the French Enlightenment, and, um, you know, really on the front edge of that, and, uh, He was known for his wit and so forth, but he was really known for his attacks against the church, uh, the Catholic church. And he was an advocacy of freedom of religion, freedom of expression, and separation of church and state. Where have we heard that before? Um, Voltaire wrote uh, prolifically, and you can study more about his works, but um, he used his writing to criticize what he considered intolerance Uh, religious dogma, and the French institution of the day. And again, you know, um, intellect devoid of God to me is pretty foolish, but for him um, it was utter foolishness, and so he spent his life work um, doing that. The inside of the card had uh, two more men, Bertrand Russell and Mikkel Bakken, and I'm not going to go into the whole reading of um, what their quotes were. They're quite extensive, and they are in the handout that's included with this talk. Or you can get it on that Creation Matters handout on my website at mediaangels.com. But I want to go into a little bit about Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher. And, you know, I look when I look at his life and what he did, he did do some amazing things um, in the world of mathematics and logic and set theory and linguistics and computer science and things like that. And he was an activist. He was very much uh, anti-war. He also was a- awarded a Nobel Prize in literature. But he- and he was considered a champion of humanitarians. But let me read you what his card said. There is something feeble and a little contemptible about a man who cannot face the perils of life without the help of comfortableness. And he ended his quote with, most people whose intelligence is much above average are nowadays openly or secretly agnostic. And the thing about agnosticism is, you know, there's this, I don't really care if there is a God because if there is, it doesn't apply to me. And so it is, you know, To me, amazing that this man of such intellect took that road and, um, you know, he really flip-flopped a lot in his life. You know, he at one point was, you know, a socialist, then he was a liberal, then he was a pacifist. So he, you know, went through life changing as as there was a whim. And so um, obviously the person who left the calling card thought enough of his clothes to put him... Um, on the card as well. And then there's Mikel uh, Bachman, and he was a revolutionary uh, philosopher. He has been called the father of the Antichrist theory, um, and so that um, is something I'll leave up to you uh, to really look into. But um, it offers, um, it, it doesn't offer a fixed body of doctrine uh, from a particular world view but it fluxes and flows with philosophy and uh, you know philosophers um, have an interesting way of looking at the world and uh, you know having taken philosophy and studied it I know that um, it's not how I tend to think and so um, you know for me I see you know just, you know, a lot of disagreement um, from where I'm coming from, you know, like you know, especially when you look at sentences like, you know, everything that exists is rational. You know, to me that's irrational. But um, I'm not going to get into him a lot other than to say that, you know, he was selected for his quote, which I'm going to read, again, the very beginning and then the end. Um, and that is, the idea of good implies the abdication of human reason and justice. That was what what he began with. And then I want to end his his quote here with, He who desires to worship a god must harbor no childish illusions about the matter, but bravely renounce his liberty and his humanity. And uh, he um, lived from 1814 to 76. So again, he was um, one of these early philosophers. So can you see that these men were selected because of their anti-Christian stance and the fact that their anti-Christian stance led the gentleman who put this card together to take a Darwinian evolutionary stance? And so, you know, I may never know who this gentleman was, but I do know that there are many like him that will go to great lengths to do things, and even today, uh, there was an entire thing that maybe you have missed. But um, I don't miss a lot of these things that happen uh, because I'm pretty connected uh, to the world of creation science and a lot of scientists and so forth. And uh, there was a big bus campaign by Richard Dawkins, who is probably what I would consider one of the premier evolutionists and anti-Christians in the world. And he ran, um, he helped fund this ridiculously expensive uh bus campaign. But when I looked at this uh thing on the side of the bus, I just shook my head, and maybe you will too. And this is what it said, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And this is written in typical agnostic style, you know, atheists. Um, and agnosticism are two things that you, I'm not going to go into them right now, but you would look into. But this is, you know, an agnostic will say there's probably no God because you cannot prove definitively that there is a God or not, and it takes faith to believe in God. But, you know, it didn't say there is no God definitively. It said there is probably no God. And why would somebody put this on the bus? It's as if to say, you know, we're losing ground here because there's a lot more creationists out there and people are getting educated and now with the internet they can get all this information that that previously you know, we left to academia and academia um, you know, uh, fuels all the media and we can keep saying you know, well of course everybody knows the dinosaurs roamed the earth millions of years ago and of course we know this and of course evolutionary teaches, like of course if you don't know this then you are an idiot and so They're so concerned that now they're taking out, you know, huge ad campaigns to tell people that there's probably no God. And the fact that people that have a God are worrying and you can go enjoy your life, this tells you in a nutshell exactly what the problem is. And the problem is that there is a a missing element here. And the missing element is to understand God is love and with love there is peace and there is joy. So does creation matter? I really think it does. And so when I found out about that bus campaign, I I ran a bumper sticker contest with all the kids. Um, I was teaching a lot of creation classes, and I've got those recorded um, on my website for you um, to take a look at. But at the time we were teaching a creation uh, class, and so... I hosted a bumper sticker contest with this, a, a prize with a cash award and some other things. And so um this was a winning uh selection and it was forget the bus, take the highway, and there's a picture of a bus with a cross through it, like the no sign, and uh, um after the word highway is an emblem that represents the Jesus fish. And uh so we had that um on cafepresscom dot forward slash media angels for anyone who wanted to purchase a bumper sticker. And so, um, you know, just as a reminder, again, that we um, can be used by God, however little a way that is. And that's the point of this thing. You know, does creation matter? The whole point of this talk is, you know, sharing with you my testimony of how, you know, one small little prayer to God was answered in this remarkable way. And, yes, we did go on to get the novel published and, and, um you know, it's in its third printing, all the, all the novels are. And we were able to rejoice with God and be victorious, you know, over the enemy and over, you know, thoughts that, you know, I was not the one selected. That God did choose me and my daughter to write these, and we did. And we said yes to God. So how will God use you? And that's my challenge to you today. Will he use you in any way to share his message with others. It might not be in the realm of creation science, but then it might be. Is he seeking you to do his will? And I urge you, if he does, do it because he asks. And he will provide. He's, he's provided for me in so many ways. And this is um, one, you know, small story of many, many I could share with you on writing uh, the, the study guides and the novels that have happened in our lives. And the biggest thing I can urge you today is to become educated, become educated in the differences between creation and evolution. You know, yes, I do teach my children about evolution. Why? Because they need to understand, you know, what the science is behind creation that points to a creator God, and where there are not answers and we we don't know, we say we don't know. But then again, evolutionists don't know many things either. And so I want to leave you With that thought, you know, to pray, to seek God, and to get good counsel and prayer and discernment from, you know, people you know and love and trust, you know, your pastor, your church community, um, when you want to make a decision. And remember, you'll have peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, if that is what the Lord wants you to do. Well, I invite you to join us at our website at MediaAngels.com. The Truth Seekers Mystery Series also has accompanying literature guides uh that you will enjoy, that um, this is a great way to immerse yourself and to become educated um, on the differences between creation and evolution. And I hope in this recording that I've been able to share just a small way that creation does matter, and I ask God to bless you and your families and uh to persevere in our walk with him.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Creation Science Podcast. You can find the show notes at creationsciencepodcast.com and as always, reach out to me, Felice Gerwitz at felice at mediaangels.com. Take care, God bless, and I hope you enjoy teaching your children and learning about the beautiful world that God created. Please share this broadcast with a friend and thanks so much. podcast is a production of the ultimate homeschool radio network subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play or any of your favorite podcast apps look for the ultimate homeschool radio show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts for a special subscriber printable pack as well as all our timely freebies join our email list on the ultimate Network.com.